Hi, welcome to our podcast. To learn more about Liverpool One Church, join us live, give financially and to get involved, head to liverpoolonechurch.com. We believe God wants to do great things in and through your life today. Enjoy this message. Hey, Liverpool One Church, you are sounding great today. Why don't you go ahead and take your seats? It is, um, it is just amazing to have you with us in church, just gathering together under the one name and the one name of Jesus, because that is the reason. He is the reason why we gather, why we meet. We're not part of a club. We're not a social thing. We're a church and we're committed to lifting high the name of Jesus every single time that we gather like this. So it really is brilliant that you have chosen to come out to church today. And I get it, things are looking a little bit different for those of you that are in the room, for those of you that are streaming and watching online. We're welcoming you too, but hey, no face masks in your living room. Whereas for everybody in church today, it'll look and feel a little bit different, but nothing really changes, guys. Nothing changes. A few practical things, but in the main, Nothing really changes. We're in a series right now and um, we've been talking about the idea of what do you do when you feel like you're waiting for God to maybe answer a prayer? And I'm believing and been praying all week that for every single one of us, that when we leave church today, that we're gonna walk out of this building knowing, feeling and sensing like we've just heard from God because the last thing that you need is just another word from me, right? I mean, friends, you don't need that in your life. But the one thing that I think that we all would acknowledge and say, man, I I need that, is I need the breath of heaven to just run deep through my soul sometimes. Like, I just need a now word from God. So I know that that's not gonna happen unless we just center ourselves before we jump into the words. So can we just pray before we go into this series? Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would take every single one of these words that I have got to offer up today. And Father, would you breathe your life onto them? Would you cause our hearts to be open to hear the sound, the still small sound of your voice today? Lord, I pray that we would walk out of church knowing, feeling and sensing like we've heard from heaven today. And we ask this all in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Well, hey, listen, I'm going to start to talk to you about one particular uh, topic today that is fundamental. In fact, it's key, it's critical for you and your life if you are a follower of Jesus. In fact, this is such an important topic that actually the Scriptures... They tell us that without this one thing being evidenced in your life, without this one thing being uh, brought to the forefront of your life, it's actually impossible to please God. And there are times when we often think that there are many things that will please God. You know, you can kind of think, hey God, I'm in church today, you better be pleased with me. Hey, I'm playing in the band today, you better be pleased with me. I've got a red t-shirt on, I hope you're pleased with me. Well, actually, the Scriptures teach us that there's only one real way that we can please God. There's only one real thing that actually causes God to be pleased with the way in which we interact with Him. So we're gonna be talking about what that one thing that's so important for each and every one of us that says today that we follow Jesus and let's try and bring it to the forefront of our lives. I'm gonna tell you what that one thing is in just a moment. 
You know, I've got some friends and um, they lead churches all across Ireland. That's both in the northern part of Ireland and also in southern Ireland. So just recently, you know, maybe not so much during COVID, but certainly prior to that, it's been a place that I end up visiting quite a bit. We end up going over to do some leadership stuff, some teaching, some preaching in some churches. And it's just amazing. Like got some friends in Belfast, some friends in Derry, London Derry, some friends in Dublin in the south and some other places around there. And I just, I just, I just love going. It's just heaps of fun. It's brilliant. But the very first time that I went over to Ireland, I tried to get an Uber from Belfast. Well, apparently Uber has not landed in Belfast yet. So you end up having to ride a typical taxi. And at that time, neither were they in possession of the card machines to take payment on a card. So I ended up having to get the taxi driver to take me to an ATM so I could pay him cash. And I mean, like, I'm the tap and go guy. You know, any of you like that? Apple Pay, everything, tap and go, touch and go. Like, I just, I don't carry cash pretty much ever. But the one thing about Ireland is, is that because obviously Northern Ireland is part of the UK, they run on the pounds. It's sterling, right? And yet in Southern Ireland, you don't even have to go through a physical border, but you can drive from the north to the south, end up in Dublin, and everybody runs on the euro. So I remember this one time, on the second time I was ever in Ireland, I'd been to the ATM and I'd withdrawn some pounds for me, and I'd been down to Travel Box and ordered some stuff to get myself some euros, because I'm thinking, right, I need to get this right, because I've had so much problems in the past with regards to the currency. So like Dublin's in euros and Belfast is in the pounds. So I got this great system. I put my pound sterling in my right pocket and I put my euros in my left pocket. And we were in this foyer lobby at this hotel in Dublin. And there was a few of us just having a dinner there. And at the end of the night, the waitress came over and um, I just said, you know, hey, can I take the bill? And she went away and brought the bill to me. And as she is presenting the bill back to me, I'm pulling out the pocket out my my cash from my pocket and I'd mistakenly pulled out the pounds and like she's just giving me the daggers like she's just staring at me and I'm thinking like what's the problem because I hadn't realized what I'd done and then she just said she goes you can't choose them you're in Dublin and I'm thinking oh right okay you can't choose them here and I know what you're thinking right now isn't that great they had a a waitress from India working in Dublin which um, I've said this to the morning service I get myself in trouble when I try to do accents so like I've pretty much come close to closing the church down so we're not going to do that anymore but but basically what she was saying was you can't use your pound notes in Dublin Like if you want to pay the bill, then you're going to have to make sure the transaction takes place in euros because that's the currency that we run on in Dublin. And in the same way that you wouldn't be able to spend euros here in Liverpool, it's because it's not the transaction that our city runs on. And sometimes if you want to make sure that you're going to get a transaction, you have to be certain that you're running with the right currency. But you know the way that we follow Jesus the way in which we are Christians, the way in which we are part of a church, do you know that our Christian faith has a currency that heaven runs on? There is a currency that God, our Father in heaven, runs on and interacts with you according to the currency that you give him. And the currency that heaven responds to is the currency of faith. And it's faith that is so critical and so fundamental for each and every one of us to have as like the crux of our entire Christian faith. If we want to live a life that's pleasing to God, 
but also if it's going to be the kind of life that transacts with God, that transacts with heaven, then we need to be operating on the currency of faith. Now, typically when we think of that word faith, what we don't always understand is there's kind of like two sides to it. There's one phrase that I'm going to use, which I'm going to call saving faith. Now, saving faith is is the faith that we offer up to God at the point at which you become a Christian. You know, maybe like we're going to do at the end of service today, you'll pray a prayer that is literally saying, God, I want you to live in my life. I believe that you gave your one and only son, Jesus, on a cross to die for me. And now I believe in you. So like, forgive me of everything that I've done wrong, because I'm going to become a follower of you. That's called saving faith. But the point at which you get saved, what you then need in your life, I'm just going to refer to as lifestyle faith. Almost like the currency by which God will interact with your life. Now that faith is different to saving faith because that faith, Luke tells us in Romans 12, is given to us by God. In fact, this is what the scripture says. Romans 12 verse three, it says that God has assigned to each of us a measure of faith. In other words, not saving faith, but the kind of faith that can be treated as a currency to transact with your father is actually deposited into your life by your father in heaven. So you know, like when you kind of wrestle with the idea of, I don't know if I've got enough faith, you've got the perfect amount of faith because God's the one that's deposited the faith within you. So sometimes we can struggle with this idea of like faith, but what you've got to understand is that faith is given in measures and it's given by God. So my question to start with is, what measure of faith do you have? The reason why I ask that is because I can remember kind of growing up in church. I've always been told this like phrase or this idea that's always as I've grown older started to frustrate me a little bit. And it's the idea that, that you need more faith. Like there's been times and seasons in my life, like you've encountered also, when maybe it feels like you're praying for something God's maybe not responding in the way that you would want him to. So now you're waiting for God to do something, like God do anything. And it can now almost feel to you like maybe my faith isn't good enough because oftentimes, what do we say when people are praying for things that they're not receiving? Well, we say, well, well, what you need is more faith. You just need to, you need to like love God more. You need to have more faith. You need to pray harder. And then sometimes when you think about it, it's like, man, I'm spent Like I'm giving God all the faith that I've got and yet it still feels like there's no transaction. I can remember when we started this church, a much older youth pastor of mine, somebody that I'd not been in contact with for years, he sat me down and he said, hey, listen, I'm not sure that you starting a church in Liverpool is a good idea. He said, because if you start a church in Liverpool, you've got to know that it is the hardest city. For some reason, he said, Liverpool and Newcastle are the hardest cities in the entire UK for anybody to plant a church. It's just so hard. Like the people are hard. Life is hard. And I'm saying, I'm thinking, I think Liverpool is the best city in the world. Like I think it's the best place to go and start and plant a church. But then he made this phrase and he said to me, it's going to take immense faith if you're ever going to get a church to work in Liverpool. And at that moment, I can remember thinking to myself, well, I don't have immense faith. 
I've got a small amount of faith and it's my kind of quiet time type of faith, you know, when I'm still before God daily and I have a small sense of like God can accomplish anything in my life and in your life and in your, the lives of those that every, of everybody tuning in online. I, I, I quietly and confident believe that God can really make a difference in your life. Like I believe that you can literally be facing something that on paper would come across as being horrendous and I believe that God can turn it around in a day. Like I believe that God is the difference maker, that he is the miracle maker. But I wouldn't describe that as being like immense faith. It's just kind of like this quiet, confident assurance that God's not going to fail me and he's not going to let me down. But it's certainly not immense faith. And I can remember feeling like, well, I'm not going to be any good at this. This sounds like it's going to be a terrible idea because I don't have great or significant faith. And during those times and seasons where maybe you've experienced too, where you're waiting on God to do something and somebody comes to you and says, well, all you need is more faith, that creates a huge problem for me. And maybe you've experienced this as well. Because the moment that somebody starts to tell you, well, what you need is more faith, what they're really saying, or the undertone is, that the faith that you're currently offering up to God is not good enough. Like it's not pleasing enough to God. Like it's not acceptable to God. And where does that leave you? Because now you're sat there and left there thinking, well, my faith's not really good enough and it feels like my faith is just not substantial enough. So maybe I haven't got any faith at all. And if my faith's not real, what do we then do? Well, we then start to question God's entire existence. Well, like if my faith isn't real, well, maybe God isn't real either. Like what's the point of me praying? Does he care? Does he listen? How come when I pray, it feels like God's absent? How come when I pray and I'm waiting for God to do something, it feels like God's up to nothing? Like he's not speaking, he is silent. And now it causes us to question our whole faith life because when we think about maybe our faith isn't good enough and we start to feel like, well, maybe I just don't stack up. You know, you go for the job interview and you don't get it. Well, you haven't got enough faith. Or you ask somebody out and they knock you back. Well, you haven't got enough faith. You know, somebody gets sick and you pray for them to be healed and they don't. Well, what's the answer? Well, you haven't got enough faith. And it creates all these kinds of challenges for us as we follow Jesus. So my question again, what measure of faith do you have? When you transact with heaven, what measure of faith do you have? There are many stories throughout the New Testament where Jesus himself speaks directly into this issue of faith. In fact, one such story starts out in Mark 4, where all the disciples, right, they've been hanging out with Jesus, they've been running with Jesus for days now. And what happens is they all decide to take a trip on a boat. And in Mark 4, it recounts how the disciples end up in the middle of this lake when this crazy storm starts to happen around them. And they are freaking out. They are like, man, this is going to kill us. We're all going to drown. We're never going to see our families again. We're never going to be family fishermen ever again. And whilst they're all panicking and going crazy, Jesus is fast asleep at the front of the boat. Like, you know, taking 40 winks. He's taking a little nap. He's just loving life. And everybody else is freaking out. So what do they do? They go and wake Jesus up. And they're like, Jesus, have you not seen the storm? Like, have you not seen what's going on around us? Everything around our life right now is crazy. And then Jesus, like only the way Jesus can do it, he literally speaks to the wind and to the rain and the storm calms down at the command of his voice. 
But then Jesus says this one thing to the disciples that I find interesting. In verse 40, verse 10, he says, then he asked them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? He says, guys, don't you have any faith at all? Like, is there nothing in your faith tank? If we were to turn your life upside down, would no faith fall out of it? Do you have like zero faith at all? And you and I know exactly what that feels like sometimes. Because we know what it's like to sometimes pray and ask God for things in our lives that don't always materialise the way that we had hoped. And that leaves us feeling like our faith glass is empty. It feels like there's just nothing in the tank. We feel it sometimes when we go through all kinds of challenges, maybe financially, maybe with your family, maybe with your husband, your wife, your children, and you're just going through challenge after challenge after challenge. And it seems to you like the more you pray, the more you wait, the less God does and the less God says. And now that leaves you feeling like, man, my faith life is empty. I've got no faith. It's a challenge. And yet it's not the only place though where Jesus speaks into this idea of how much faith do you have? Like what's the measure of your faith? In another conversation that takes place in Matthew 6, all the disciples and all of his followers, they're all like having some mountainside time. And they start to talk about like some of the most pressing issues of the day. And it's kind of ironic to me because it genuinely feels like this is still the most pressing issue of the day for us, even in 2021. And Jesus starts to speak into how to deal with stress and anxiety, how to deal with nervousness, how to not worry and be so consumed with everything that's going on in life. And in fact, he speaks about it so much, he ends up saying like, guys, if you're gonna follow me, you don't need to worry about what you're gonna eat. You don't need to worry about what you're gonna drink. You don't need to worry and be stressed out all the time and full of anxiety over what you're gonna wear. That's not the life that I have for you. But then he kind of, he says this statement, which is interesting to me. He turns to those that were listening and those that were followers of him, and he asks them, why do you have so little faith? So now what we can see is that Jesus is letting us know that faith is measurable. It's quantifiable. And he's saying to them, do you, do you have so little faith that you don't think I'm gonna take care of you? Do you have so little faith that you can't grasp the idea that I'll sort your food and your drink and your clothes? Do you have little faith? Maybe you're like me. Maybe there's been times and seasons in your life where you have felt like, man, I haven't got a lot of faith, but I have a little amount of faith. Maybe there's been times and seasons where you just feel like I haven't got a lot, but what I have got, I'm willing to offer up to God. Because Jesus is teaching us here that faith is measurable. But what he's also showing us is it's not the amount of faith that's really important, but rather what you do with the faith that you already have. Because Romans teaches us that faith is given to us by God in different measures. So Jesus is making the observation that one group of people had no faith and another group of people had a small amount of faith. So what's your measure of faith? And more to the point, what are you doing with the measure of faith that you have? And we know that it's not about the size of your faith that's really important. And we know that 
Because Jesus talks in another parable where he's saying about how even if you've got faith that's the size of a mustard seed, then it has the ability to move mountains. In other words, you can have a small, seemingly insignificant, tiny amount of faith, and yet that can move some crazy big things that are going on in your life. He was saying, look, the reality of it is, is that it doesn't actually take a lot of faith, but just a small amount of faith has the ability when you pray and trust that God is going to do something to remove obstacles from your life and that of mine, to change circumstances from your workplace, to heal broken relationships. Like things happen when we pray, even with a small amount of faith. Because faith is the currency upon which heaven transacts. God responds to the currency of faith, your faith. But again, it's not the only place where we can find a story where Jesus is talking about the amount and measure of faith that you have. Because in Matthew 8, there's another conversation that takes place between Jesus and a centurion. Now, a centurion was somebody who had great responsibility in the Roman army. And he would manage and be the leader of 100 men. And what was going on in a centurion's life at this time was that he had a servant that was probably a friend that he held in high regard and he was sick. And he'd heard the stories that Jesus was traveling from town to town, from village to city, and people that were sick were being made well again. So the centurion approaches Jesus and he starts to give him the whole explanation of what's happening. I've got this sick servant, he's not well. And Jesus just kind of interjects for a moment. And he almost says to him like, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to come around to your house and, and pray for your servant? Do you want me to go and find out where he is and see if we can believe together that he'd be made whole again? And then the centurion says something which is just fascinating. The centurion, who is a leader, a man of authority, a man of high social standing in his world, responds to Jesus and he says, look, this is how it is in my world. In my world, when I say, goes. What I say goes. To the hundred men that follow me, all I have to do is give a command and then everybody obeys and follows my command. And then the genius of the centurion turns to Jesus and he says to him, so Jesus, you don't even need to go. You just need to say the word, give the command. And when you speak, because you're a man of authority, when you speak, everything can change. When you just say the word, my servant can be made well. And what's interesting to me in that story is how Jesus responds to the centurion. Because Jesus, upon hearing the speech given by the centurion, he turns round to the centurion and everybody else that's in the room, gathered, listening to the conversation take place. And he says to him, truly, I have never heard anybody else in all of Israel who has such great faith. So now he's heard what the centurion's got to say. And now he's saying, that is great faith. Like the way in which he was able to believe in me, to just say the word and not even be in the room, man, that, that's impressive. Like that's, that's great faith. I mean, I don't know about you, but have you ever kind of thought to yourself what it would be like 
if you were a man or a woman of great faith. I have often tried to approach challenges here at the church, leadership challenges, challenges at home. I've always tried to do it through the lens of asking the question, what would a man of great faith do? And then just try and do that. Like knowing that I'm not that, well, what would a person of great faith do? I'm just gonna try and replicate that because because that's how I wanna live my life. Believing that Jesus only has to say the word and it can change. Say the word and a difference can happen. Say the word and a miracle can take place. I wanna be that, but often I don't feel like that. So I ask myself the question, what do I need to do? I'll just do what a man of great faith would do. I love to read certain elements of church history and some of the great evangelists of old. There's a guy called George Mueller, who actually in the 18th century, he was responsible for bringing into fruition all of the Victorian orphanages because he believed that as a follower of Jesus, it was the responsibility of those that follow Jesus to make sure that we take care of the poor and those that don't have parents and those that are orphans. It's our job on our watch, it's our turn. So he literally would build all of these orphanages, but obviously it would take up so much of his cash and he'd continually having to be fundraised just to get the buildings up so people could stay warm and dry. But what that often meant was there was no food in the pantry. So what would happen on most days is that Mueller would get up early before all of the kids would rise from the orphanage and he'd sit at the breakfast table and he would pray and ask God to provide the children breakfast. What would happen in the full knowledge then of all the kitchen cupboards being completely bare and nobody having any food to eat, he'd have the children come up and line up and sit and gather around the kitchen table, still with no food in the pantry. And then what would happen so often is there'd be a knock on the door and having prayed and brought to God his request, the knock on the door would often be the baker. And he'd often say things like, you know what? I've not been able to sleep last night. I've just had you and these children on my mind. So I just thought maybe you could do with some bread. Here's some bread, you can feed the children. And now with all the kids around the breakfast table, they now get bread. And at the same time as he's leaving, the next time the milkman knocks on the door and he says, well, our milk cart, (laughs) it's just broken down the whole thing. The wheels come off. We don't want the milk to go to waste. Do you want this milk for these children? And now the children have got bread and milk when just moments earlier, they had nothing. I listen to stories like that and I go, that is great faith. Like, man, imagine being able to believe God for that. I mean, that's just incredible. How much faith do you have? What's the measure of your faith? In Acts chapter 6, the doctor whose name was Luke starts writing about an individual whose name was Stephen. And Stephen in the New Testament was known and renowned for being a man of miracles. Like wherever he would go, he would just see God move in his life. It's almost like where Stephen would go, there would be these continual transactions between heaven and earth. And Luke, when thinking about Stephen and describing him, to people that were around him, he made the observation that was more significant than saying like Jesus had of the centurion, that he had great faith. But what Luke says in Acts chapter six is he describes Stephen as being a man that was full of faith, like completely full and consumed with faith. Like you couldn't get any more faith in Stephen. 
He could believe God and trust in God for big and crazy things. And when you read parts of Scripture like that, it does make you go, man, can you imagine if somebody once said about you, like, or me, he's a man that was full of faith, knowing that it's faith that's pleasing to God, knowing that it's faith that's the currency that heaven transacts with. Don't you wanna be a man and a woman that is full of faith and yet often the struggle is real because we don't feel like that at all. What we feel like is, well, my faith could never be that. My faith would never be pleasing to God in the way that these heroes of old's faith is actually like. That's just not me. It's not where I'm at. But yet it's not the only place that Scripture talks about the way in which faith works in your life and that of mine too. In Luke chapter 5, there is this amazing story that happens where these guys that were friends with a man that was paralysed are intentional about trying to get him to Jesus. Like, they're so convinced, these four friends, that if they can get their paralysed friend to Jesus, that Jesus might be able to heal him, that Jesus might be able to do something significant, that Jesus might be able to be the difference maker, the miracle bringer, the miracle worker in their friend's life. So what do they do? Well, they get him on a bed and they all carry a post each and they march down to Peter's house where Jesus is and everybody's inside this house and Jesus is like teaching in the living room and it's so busy, it's so round, it is like chocker block. It's kind of like it's close and it's tight and there's no room and it's so busy, you can't even get in to the living room. You can't even get through to the hallway. It's just like, it is so busy. But these four friends... They're so determined to get their paralysed friend to Jesus. What they do is they go up on this near eastern roof, this house where Jesus is teaching, and they use their physical hands to start to dig through the roof. Now, the way that these houses were constructed is that they would have a flat roof and they would typically be made out of clay. Oftentimes, they would use like an animal manure to kind of like bind the, the clay together. And they were digging the clay out with the intent of lowering their paralysed friend through the roof so that they could get their mate to Jesus. And can you just imagine the carnage that's being caused at that time? I mean, like if you were in the room, if you were in the living room, like you're just sat there listening to Jesus and now all of a sudden there's like dust and bits and clay and animal dung just kind of like flying all around you. And you're like, oh, this is disgusting. This is like horrendous. And Jesus, he kind of like, he looks up and he sees these guys lower their friend on a mat through a roof. And then Jesus, check this out, then Jesus heals the man. I mean, like he gets up off his bed and he walks out of the house, changed completely differently to the way that he came into the house. He was changed forever. But what's interesting to me is the conversation that takes place between Jesus and these four friends in a room where everybody could hear about the type of faith, the measure of faith that they were offering up to Jesus in belief that God could actually do something in their life. Luke 5 verse 20 says this, When Jesus saw their faith, He said to the man, Friend, your sins are forgiven. In other words, He said to the man, Be healed. In other words, He said to the man, 
pick up your mat, be well, be whole, be fixed and leave. When Jesus saw their faith, notice how Jesus didn't say that what he saw was full faith. Neither did Jesus look at the faith that they had offered up to him and describe it as being great faith. Jesus didn't do that. Neither did Jesus look at their faith and their efforts of lowering their friend through the broken ceiling roof and say that it was small faith. It just says that Jesus saw their faith. In other words, Jesus didn't put a measure on the amount of faith that was presented to him on that day. Jesus did not quantify the faith. Jesus did not look at their faith and interrogate their faith to see whether it was a certain level or a certain way or had attained certain things or had done certain things. What he did was he just looked up and he saw their faith. Now, my translation of this scripture to describe and give you a phrase of what I think Jesus saw as being the type of faith that was offered up to him, in my words, was Jesus saw that they had just enough faith. Like it wasn't full of faith. It wasn't great faith. It wasn't a small amount of faith. It was not a quantifiable amount of faith, but it was just enough faith. It was just enough faith to believe that God could do something new. It was just enough faith to believe that God could change it around. It was just enough faith to believe that I know a miracle's coming. I might not see it, but it's on the way. It was just enough faith to believe and expect that God could do something good again or for the first time in their life. And it's how it works in our lives too. It's like you don't need a quantifiable amount of faith that is full of faith or grateful of faith in order to be pleasing to God. What we need is just enough faith. And that is perfectly acceptable to God. It's just enough faith. But now let me show you how your faith grows. Let me show you when I ask you the question of how is your measure of faith doing? You see, where we are today as a church is kind of like it's heaps of, heaps of fun. It's not the dream, but rather we're on the journey. We believe that God has got big things for us and ahead of us that we've not even touched on the surface of yet. Like honestly, what God has done in the first few years, I'm like, honestly, just, just buckle in because what God is gonna do in the next few years is gonna be way bigger and beyond anything that we've ever hoped, dreamt of or imagined for. But it didn't start here. What actually happened was there were 10 of us that would meet in a living room and we started to pray and ask that God would one day use us to help reach hurting and lost people. And that was it. When we outgrew our living room, we started to take up some rented space in a venue called the CUC. And the bill for that rented space every Sunday was £160. Now to some of you, I know that doesn't sound like a great deal of money at all. To others of you, I know that sounds like an incredibly large amount of money. And I was in that category. And I can remember thinking like, man, now we've got to find £160 And to find it once was a challenge, but to find it week in, week out, like how are we ever gonna do that? Because 160 pounds a week is 640 pounds a month. Like, how are we gonna do this? Like, we're not gonna be able to bankroll this thing. There's no no million dollar check. There's no multi-billionaire backer. Like, we're just friends gathering in a living room. But here's what I know, as we started to pray, as we started to believe with the faith that we had, it was just enough faith 
just to get us into that CUC venue. It wasn't impressive faith. It wasn't full of faith. It wasn't great faith. It was just enough faith to see us to keep going, to reach hurting and lost people. But what's funny is we had a couple of different venue changes after we'd left that venue. And I can remember when we took possession of the theatre that we used to use not a million miles away from here. And I can remember being quoted on it and they told us, look, the absolute bottom price that you're going to pay is £750 a week. That's 40 grand a year just on rent. I mean, like before we've done anything, before anybody gets helped, that was what we were going to have to find just to do church. And I'm thinking, how are we ever going to do this? Like to find 160 pounds a week was a struggle. How are we ever going to find 750 pounds a week, 40 grand a year? Well, I'll tell you how it happened. Just a small group of people presenting to God what they had, which was just enough faith. It wasn't immense faith. It wasn't full of faith. It wasn't great faith, but it was just enough faith. And then what happens is when you start to look back on the history of your life, you see that God who's been faithful in your past will also be faithful in your future based on the small amount of faith that you've previously offered up to Him. I remember when we were buying this building and the real challenge got real because then we had to raise close to quarter of a million pounds in cash just as a down payment and to do some refurbs. Like how'd you go from 160 pounds a week to 750 pounds a week to then quarter of a million pounds in cash. Well, it doesn't need full faith or great faith or significant faith. It just needs just enough faith. And my faith along with some friends' faith became just enough for God to use it. And then it starts to make you feel like God's gonna do something. God's gonna do it again. God's gonna bring change. God's gonna be a miracle worker. But it doesn't just happen in a church setting too. I remember when my wife had been diagnosed with cancer every night, we would get on our knees and we would pray and be like, God, would you heal her? God, would you fix her? God, would you rescue her? And it wasn't full of faith. It wasn't immense faith. It was just enough faith. But now looking back on our past and our history of God being faithfulness on the previous end, we believe that God's going to be faithful in our future too. It's just enough faith. I remember we've got friends who have struggled for years to have a baby. I mean, years to the point at which they were like, maybe we're going to adopt. Maybe we're going to give up on the dream but we would gather and we would pray and we would offer to God, not full faith, not great faith, not a small amount of faith, but we'd offer Him up the faith that we had, the just enough faith. And now when I start to see their child run around, I'm like, God, you're so incredibly faithful, but He doesn't work on full faith. He works on just enough faith. And my intention today, church, is to get you to believe as you leave Sunday today, that maybe God will do something in your life that you've given up on believing Him to ever do again. Maybe you feel like you're waiting for God to do a miracle, to bring about change. Maybe you're waiting for Him to do something and it feels like it's just not happening. Well, today I'm asking you, just present to Him just enough faith, not full faith, not loads of faith, just enough faith. It's all God needs because that's the currency of heaven. Now's the time to believe again. Now's the time for some of you to stop leaving the dreams aside, but go for gold, go for broke, bet the farm, trust God big, like offer God what you've got. For some of you, what that actually looks like is you're in a marriage that you feel like quitting. I have been praying that you'll have the faith to just give it one more week, one more month. Keep loving Him. Yeah, He acts like an idiot, but keep loving Him. Don't walk out on her. Keep loving her. For some of you parents who've got crazy wayward teenagers and it doesn't matter what you say, 
to them. They're gonna do their own thing. They're not interested in you. Hey, I've been praying and I want you to have the faith to believe today that if you offer up to God just enough faith that something can change, something good can happen. There can be a miracle in your family. And in the same way for those of you at Christmas where financial pressure is real and it's a struggle and you're like, man, I don't know how I'm gonna make ends meet and we've got the gifts and we've got the rent and we've got the thing. You don't need great faith or full faith, but rather just enough faith that quietly and confidently believes that God can do it, God can change it, God can turn it around, God can work it out for your good and for my good. God will be a blessing in your life. And it's almost the case of that's how you grow your level of faith, just continually believing. For some of you, it's like you've got a health thing going on and it's a big deal, like it, it, it's, it's a real thing. And it goes against the grain of what the doctors are saying. But now as you leave church today, I'm gonna believe with you that we're gonna see your small amount of faith, see God do something incredible in your life. Like don't give up on the dream. Don't stop hoping. Don't lose your faith. Don't quit on God. Don't walk away from Jesus in the waiting because you're not seeing what you wanna see. Just continually give and offer up to Him. You're just enough faith because that's the currency that God transacts with. Just enough faith is the currency that the kingdom of heaven operates in, in your life and in mine too. Thanks for joining us today. We hope that you can take that message and apply it to your life. Also, don't forget to take a moment to subscribe, rate and review this podcast. To get connected or stay more connected to the life of Liverpool One Church and learn how you can join us live, visit liverpoolonechurch.com. Thanks again for joining us and we hope to see you again soon.